Well, Jeanette, that was a great reading, and it's what a wonderful passage it is. I feel like we could just keep reading that last yeah, bit, you know, yeah, so glad you forgave me as well. Um, <laughs> so, look, um, you ever think, if, you, if you're a Christian, um, assuming some people in here are Christians, not everyone in this room is, is a Christian, um, but assuming there are some Christians here in this room, um, did, did you, do you ever think or worry, I suppose, that uh, maybe, maybe you're not going to make it. Maybe some trial is going to happen in your life. Um, some temptation is going to be far too dear for you. And in the end, you're just going to be like the person that you know who Andrew was just praying for that is not walking with God and, yeah, just feels like they have been separated from God. Um, do, you ever, do you ever worry about that? That, that maybe, maybe, um, look, maybe, maybe this is just a phase for you, right? Like, you know, people get into things, you know, people like to shape a surfboard or get into juicing or whatever, and, and maybe this Christian thing was just a phase that you were into once and, it won't last. Do you ever think about that? Um, can you lose your salvation? Right? Can you, some people think that. You know, is, it, is there once a time where, and, and could because, well, look, we, we know people, don't we? I mean, even high profile ministers who seem like you know, if anyone has a, a, a direct connect line to, to Jesus, it's this, this guy, right? Or this gal or whatever, and they fall away. What happened? And, if, and certainly, I mean, if you look at some high-profile Christian people who are much more talented and zealous and more knowledgeable than we are, right? So then if you kind of look at them, you go, well, if they fell away, I mean... Uh, what, what about me? Let me say this. On your own, on your own, you're not going to make it. I don't care. There's a lot of stubborn people in this room. I've interacted with many of you. That's not to be offensive. <laughs> but as stubborn as you are, you're not going to make it. You can't make it in your own strength. So it's not going to happen. But you see, those whom Christ chooses, those whom he elects and saves, he will carry to the end. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. What the Lord starts, he finishes. That is anchored hope, friend. Because you could never do it no matter how committed you think you are. All it takes is a couple trials to knock you around a bit and you're going to spit the dummy. But if you are in Christ, listen to me, God is for you 100%. If you are in Christ, you are a more than a conqueror. You are a super conqueror. 
nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So what I want to look at today is this idea of anchored justice and anchored love. Anchored justice in verses 31 to 34. Anchored love in 35 to 39. Anchored justice, or if you want to make it a little bit more, if you don't like the anchor thing, and you can take up your beef with Andrew on that one, but um, there you go, Andrew. I brought the anchor up at the last bit. You can make it really simple with two Vs. You can say vindication and victory. Okay? Vindication in verses 31 to 34. Victory in verse 35 to 39. Those are what I want to, that's how I want us to sort of break out the text and think about it today. So, what a privilege. What a privilege. Um, you are blessed to be able to sit here um, this morning. Uh, for one, you don't deserve to have breath in your lungs right now as a sinner. You deserve the wrath of God. So the fact that you're even breathing right now is God's grace and mercy to you, okay? You also don't deserve, you, by God's providence, were born in a nation, at least for now, that has freedom to congregate and to worship. Um, you didn't earn that. You didn't, you didn't choose that. But here you are. You get to sit in a place, albeit with heaters on or whatever we got going on, where we're not being rained on, where the police aren't coming and, and raiding us. We are, so here we are. I, I pray you, you don't just sort of drift off. Um, but, and, and you're also, I'd say, blessed about this. I have prayed for you this entire week, many of you by name. I have studied this forwards and backwards, thinking specifically how this can apply to your life. So you are blessed to be here. And, and this is one of the, you know, Romans 8 is kind of like Mount Everest, okay? And if Romans 8 is Mount Everest, this section today is like the peak of Mount Everest, really. And so what, what, a, what an exciting thing to, to jump into this and, and think about no separation, all right? So why don't we look to the Lord and let's pray before we dive into it. Gracious God, we need your help now to focus, to understand. We pray that you would bring uh, understanding, or that you would conform us to the image of your Son. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So let's jump right into it, because at the outset, what does Paul do here? Paul, Paul, he asks a question, right? He asks a question. If in verse 31, if you're tracking along, he, and what does he say? He says, what should we say to these things? You see that there? Or what shall we say in response to these things? What things do you think he is referring to? Well, some have argued he's, he's reaching all the way back to chapter one, right? Everything he said in the past eight chapters, this is like a massive crescendo. So when he says these things, I mean everything I've said pretty much. 
That's one view. Another view is he's reaching back to chapter five. The first 11 verses of chapter five reflect chapter eight quite a bit. That's another view. Or perhaps he has in mind just a few verses before this, just what he just said. Personally, I think he's referring to more than simply this chapter. But if we step back for just a second, let's do this. Let's step back for just a second and rehearse where we've been the past few weeks, right? Let, let's, because it'll, it'll help us answer the question. You, it's, you know, you can't just jump into the, you know, a passage like this and say, what then shall we say to these things? You don't start a conversation that way, right? What shall we say to these things? What things? Right? Well, let's just rehearse where we've been in this chapter so far right? And Jeanette, you did a great job reading it, right? He starts off, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now that is hope. There's hope because there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's hope because the Spirit helps us to fight sin. There is hope because both we and all of creation will be renewed. There is hope because the Spirit himself prays for us. There is hope because God has predestined us, called us, justified us, and will one day bring us home. What do we say to all of that? <laughs> right? Like, If you simply take these gospel truths and add them up, everything I just said, what can you say? In light of all this, if God is for us on our side, so to speak, then who or what could ever be against us? What could ever separate us from God? Well, nothing in this world or the spiritual world. Nothing that happens today or even tomorrow or next week. That's the point, you see. Because of God's sovereign grace, our salvation is secure, anchored. That, you know, some have even titled uh, these verses a hymn of security, right? It's like a song. It's a hymn of security. If God is for us, who could be against us? Who could possibly be against us? Well, I don't want to throw a wet blanket on the excitement there, but plenty of people can be against you, <laughs> right? I mean, uh, Paul experienced loads of opposition in his lifetime, did he not? He's the guy who wrote that. And, and if you follow Jesus, you can count on at least, you know, some people opposing you at some level, you'll have a number of adversaries. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you'll have incredible difficulties and challenges in life. But listen, at the end of the day, none of those difficulties, none of those adversaries, none of those enemies can successfully wage war against you and win. Why? How do you know? How can you be sure that nothing will defeat you? God is for you. He is on your side. He is on your side. Now, it seems a bit backwards to say that. Doesn't it? I mean, if you, he is on your side. Sounds a bit awkward, doesn't it? I mean, you would think that Paul would say something like, 
we are on God's side, right? I mean, after all, God is the sovereign king and ruler over everything. So wouldn't it make sense that we should place ourselves on his side? But that misses the point. It requires something for us to do. Where Paul says, God has done it on our behalf. He did not spare his own son, but handed him over to death for our sake. You see, if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, God is for you 100%. That's Paul's line of thought in verse 31. Let's, let's look here. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Notice, he gives the grounds for that, right? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Uh, did you catch Paul's logic there? And that, you see what he's saying? He argues from the greater to the lesser. You see that? that that's, that's what he's doing. If this is true, if A and B is true, then it follows that C is also true. You still tracking? Yeah? Paul argues from the greater. If God has done the greatest thing of all, giving his only son, then surely these other things as well. You see? Um, in the book of Genesis, there's an amazing story about a guy named Abraham. And Abraham, this very old bloke, God told him to go to another country. And even though Abraham was an old man and so was his wife, they had no children. They desperately wanted kids. But God did the miraculous for them. They actually had kids way in their, had one son, their only son, Isaac. And, and, and you can imagine how special this son would have been, right? You know, the, their only son. And one day, God appears to Abraham and tells him to do something quite strange that would have been unnerving, would have scared him. He says, take that son of yours and go where I tell you and sacrifice him. I mean, that, that's a bit jolting. Would you agree? I don't know if he was having his coffee that morning and spilled. I don't know what happened. But he says, take your son, your only son, and go sacrifice him. And Abraham, it says, obeyed. He trusted the Lord. He was willing to sacrifice his own son, which is a foreshadow of something coming. Early the next morning, he gets up. It's a couple-day journey, about 70 kilometers. So him and Isaac head to the place where he told them to go. And as they're heading there, Isaac goes, Oh, Dad, hey, Dad, I've noticed you got the knife to kill the offering, and... Um, You've got the wood. Where's, where's the animal that we're going to kill, Dad? Well, son, there's the thing. Let's just, you just trust your dad and keep on following me, right? And Abraham actually says this, though. Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. That's where we get the term Jehovah Jireh, right? God himself will provide. Now, that might have put my Isaac's mind at ease for a moment, but I guess some of that would have dissipated pretty quickly as soon as he realizes he's being tied to the, 
to the altar, right? And then his dad's starting to walk over to him with a knife. Oh, this ain't looking good. I mean, honestly, though, shocking. I can imagine Abraham's hand shaking, right? We just, we're familiar with this, but imagine what's going on through his mind. What, 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 this is my only son. I can't believe God's telling me to do this. And just as he's lifting up his knife to plunge it into his son, the angel of the Lord speaks from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Don't do this. But now I know you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And at that very moment, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw a ram caught in the bush. And he sacrificed the ram instead. Isaac was spared, you see? Isaac was spared. But catch this. Thousands of years later, the Jews will build the temple right near this spot and sacrifice lambs again and again and again. And one day, God himself will not spare his own son, but right near this exact area will give him over, will deliver him over for sinners. Handed him over to be crucified. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Jesus was handed over to pay the price for sinners, to become death for them. He was beaten, stripped, and nailed to a cross. His sacrifice is the only anchor for our salvation and security. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. You see, if God has done the greatest thing, which is to give his own precious son, if he took care of our biggest problem, our sin, so that we can be justified, how will he not take care of the small stuff as well? And that's Paul's point, you see? How will he not hold you fast in the trials? Now, I want us to look at verse 33 and 4 again. And be on the lookout for this. Kids, if you're following along too, be on the lookout for this courtroom sort of language. We started the series with court. Remember now, no condemnation. It's, look out for this judicial sort of language here. In verse 33 and following, I want us to see it. Be on the lookout for words like on our behalf, bring any charge, justify, condemn, intercede. Let's have a look. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So you see all that, um, why I say that's kind of courtroom language there? Did you see that? Condemn, justify. So picture it like a heavenly courtroom, the divine courtroom. The Bible says that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us in this room. Whether you believe that or not, by the way. You will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. A day of reckoning is coming. Now, notice the first question. That's that judicial flavor to it. 
Who will bring any charge against God's who? Elect, right? Now, the accusations here are about us, our sin, our failings, our imperfections. Who can bring an accusation, he asks. Well, <laughs> just about anyone. I mean, I know where I have failed. I don't know about you. My wife can certainly bring an accusation. My kids could. My friends, many of you can. So who can bring any charge? I mean, the devil can. Maybe your own conscience, though, as well. Maybe you can convict your own self. But Paul says there's only one, listen, there's only one person in this courtroom that matters, and that's God. And he's the one who declares you right in his sight. So even when a charge against you is true, it's never sufficient grounds to condemn because all your sins, past, present, and future, have been covered by Christ and are now clothed in his righteousness. So the accusing voice of anyone else, even your own voice, doesn't matter. Bill Mounts puts it this way in his commentary. He says, who, there, who is there who dares to bring an accusation against those whom God has chosen? No one. It is God himself who pronounces his people righteous. There is no higher tribunal like that. If God chose to love you, nothing can derail you from him. If God chose to love you, nothing can snatch you out of his hand. God's elect. God is the one who in eternity past, if you sit under the authority of scriptures, you'll believe this, chose them. Not any, remember what Dan was talking about, the golden chain? We've already seen this. This is just biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity chose them, elected them in Christ before the foundation of the world. And then, how silly would it be for, them, for then someone to say, well, yeah, but God, they're not yours. I chose them. Excuse me. God did. His sovereign grace. His choice. There can be now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Look at verse 34. Notice these go together. Verse 34. Um, he's, and, and this is beautiful. First you have the work of the, the choosing of the Father, now the work of the Son. Who is to condemn Remember, there's no condemnation. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Wow. I talked to someone last night and I said, I want to give an entire sermon on that. <laughs> Honestly. I mean, look at, look at all the things that goes on there. Christ died, raised, and then intercedes. Now, okay, since we're thinking about the heavenly courtroom, imagine a discussion here. I'm trying to picture it, right? Imagine a discussion happening amongst the Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit, right? So in an eternity past, the Father says, I have chosen to love uh, pick on someone, Nicole Wakely, right? I have chosen to love Nicole. She is de a depraved sinner and eternally lost. To redeem her will require more than the universe. It will cost my son his life. And Christ says, I'm willing. And in the fullness of time, 
He comes, lives a perfect life. The wrath of a holy God falls on Christ and he dies a sacrifice for Nicole's sins. In the fullness of time, the Spirit woos Nicole and she places her faith in Christ. But then, on the final day, the son looks among the sheep and asks the father, where is Nicole? And the father says, well, actually, she didn't make it. Her trials at work, questions about spiritual gifts and struggles with sin, just too much for me to overcome. I'm sorry, your sacrifice for her was in vain. I can tell you that has never going to happen. If you believe God is all-powerful, if you believe that this is his plan from eternity past, nothing can thwart it. Nicole will be in heaven. Christ's work is never in vain. Christ did not die. Listen, this is, you take nothing away, take this. This is truth, friends. This, I hope, shapes your entire evangelism and worldview about God and everything. I'm serious. Christ did not die to make salvation potentially available. He died to accomplish our salvation. You see? He didn't die for people out there that he hopes that he believes. He had his people from eternity past and no one or nothing can separate them from him. It's his work. Jesus said that no one that the Father gave him will be lost. And again, look at the work of Christ here. It's just, it's just beautiful, right? He was raised, the right hand of God, Psalm 110, full authority, right? And, and what's he doing? Who indeed is interceding for us. Now, we, in Jesus, think about that. We've just been told the Spirit prays for you. Jesus prays for you. I mean, that's just unbelievable, Jesus is praying for you by name if you are his child. But we need to be clear about what is going on here and even clear about what's not going on. Jesus is not in heaven praying, God, remove every trial in case they stumble. Give them a cushy life so their faith won't fail. No, he is praying that we will be those who are preserving, growing in holiness, becoming like Jesus. When you became a believer, friend, it is not as if Jesus says, my blood avails for you. Okay, see you when you get to heaven. Hope you can live a holy life until then. No, Jesus is praying for us right now that we might be strengthened to persevere. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. There is nothing within us, sin, failure, temptation, weakness, that can stop Jesus doing what he came to do, saving you, you see? Some people say to me, okay, I know Jesus says that no one can snatch them from my hand, but what if I choose to jump out? Typical Westerner, don't flatter yourself. You are not that powerful to hinder Jesus. That's what you're saying. What if I choose to jump out of his hand? Oh, you must be stronger than God. I know we grew up in a self-esteem movement about my age and everyone below, but guess what? Newsflash, it's God's work. He who began a good work. God's the one. Salvation is completely from start to finish his work. Nothing, nothing, not even your sin can separate you from the love of Jesus. 
And that brings us to verse 35. Anchored love. Look at this. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Notice that too. I want you to notice there. The love of Christ does not refer to our love for him. Can you see that? What shall separate you from you loving Christ? Rather, it's his love for us. We love him because he first, what? Loved us. This refers to salvation. This is, this is anchored love, man. Who, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And now he just starts, ready? Boom, boom, boom. And I want you to catch, these are things that on your own, you're doomed. Really. These are the things that normally would separate you from Christ. Notice what he says. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I, I, think, I think there's a way to misread this passage here because we get all whooped up and excited, which is good. Imagine all of these trials that I just named here, right? Affliction, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. Imagine them, those things right there. Let's just take that list. Them standing between you and heaven. Okay? What, what I just said, th- those, th- that list. I think it'd be a mistake to believe that God is saying that he will be like a, some divine bowling ball and smash them out of the way to clear a nice path for you to heaven. No, he, he becomes divine armor, strength. He will enable you to endure through those that kind of things. Those are the kind of things that Christians have endured. You know, sometimes Christians, if you, look, if you read church history, have starved to death. But it says right here, that nothing will separate them, you see? Famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. These are the kind of things that Christians have endured over the centuries. So, so it's, Christ is not, he's not promising a divine bowling ball to smash all this out of your way. Quite the opposite, actually. I mean, because then he quotes Psalm 44, right? He says, that just as it's written, and it's interesting with this psalm, this psalm, the nation of Israel had had gone out to battle and they were following the Lord and yet they copped it and they're suffering and they're saying, God, what is going on here? And as Paul writes by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here in Romans 8, he goes, you know, following Jesus, it's kind of like Psalm 44, right? Uh, For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But, right? Right? He says, you know, we're going to face obstacles. um, But Christ will empower us to persevere. That's what he says in verse 37, right? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We don't just conquer those obstacles. We we become more than conquerors. Hyper-conquerors, literally. Super-conquerors. Nothing can conquer us and stop us to getting to glory. Not because of our own strength, but because of the love of Christ that empowers us. Now, verse 38, he covers the gamut here, right? (laughs) It's the gamut. And he finally says, in case I missed anything, know that nothing in the whole created universe is powerful enough to separate us from Christ's love, right? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Again, these are the kind of things that, 
These are the kind of, if you just look at the list there, that's the kind of stuff that should do you in, right? Like that should, if, if, and then you know what? If you're not in Christ, it will do you in. But if you're in Christ, God is for you 100%. You know, when you look at that list, again, this is where I was tempted to unpack everything that's there. And who knows? Maybe, maybe I just need to be preaching Romans 8 once a year, like put it on the diary, you know? Just come back to Romans 8, come back to Romans 8. Uh, we had our AGM last week, so um, maybe we should have voted on that or something, you know? Who votes? Yeah, all right, great. He has to preach it now. It's done. But it's interesting. When you look at that list, height, depth, anything else in creation, John Wesley, you know that name? John Wesley? Christian man. Lord used him massive. Way more talented than me. Way godlier than me. Um, Charles Wesley wrote famous hymns. John Wesley read this and he commented and he says, that's true. Nothing can separate us except one's will. Nothing can separate us but the human will. That doesn't really fit the passage, does it? I mean, he lists all the things that would cause us to fall away. I mean, what would cause you not to believe in God's love anymore? I don't know, starving to death, maybe? I mean, that'd be a pretty good candidate, right? How about someone chopping off your head? And Paul says, by the way, too, nothing in all creation. Did you catch that? Human will is a created entity. It's a part of creation. Nothing in all creation. The human will is created by God. So even the human will, can't, you can't jump out of God's hands, so to speak. Brothers and sisters, if the Spirit of God is in you by faith right now, if you have a love for Christ, then nothing will ever ultimately separate you from that love. Your faith can be shaken but never broken. Sin, Satan, and this world will try, but because of the love of Christ, you are hyper-conquerors, more than conquerors, unable to be conquered by anything this world throws at you if you are in Christ. When you fear that your faith will fail, and look, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to feel that, okay? Christ will hold you fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold you fast. You could never keep and go through life on your own, through life's fearful path, for your love and my love is often cold. Christ must hold us fast. Amen? Let's pray. Oh Lord, I've... There's so much here and we pray that your spirit would stir us to come back and harvest back into these rich truths and really just swim in them so that it can orient our way of life and thinking. Thank you for the encouragement that is here. Lord, I pray as sinners, our hearts can be very deceptive. And Lord, I, I'd imagine there's people here that have clung to these promises, but they don't know you. So 
they have a false sense of assurance. Lord, would you rip off the blinders from their eyes, cause them to be born again, so that they can revel in these truths and worship you. Lord, for, for those of us that, as we think about this upcoming week, be it difficult conversations, co-workers, our own aging bodies, areas, trials, Lord, things that we feel that are going to do us in. We pray that we would cling to these promises. For those who are in Christ, you are for us, and we are more than conquerors through you who loved us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So the, the Bible encourages us as, as a church 